Welcome to the Clear Studies Podcast. I am your proud host, Bishop A. Reginald Littman. It is my tremendous joy to share these teaching times with you. If this is your first time on the Clear Studies Podcast, welcome aboard. We're so glad to have you. Please make sure you send an email so that you can officially subscribe and become a part of the Clear Studies Tribe. How do you do that? It's very simple. Send an email to clearstudies at gmail.com. Again, that's clearstudies at gmail.com. We're going to be relaunching our podcast and picking right back up where we left off today. And twice per month, you're going to be hearing from me with both audio and with the free colorful PDF handout that includes discussion questions. It's a wonderful resource for you to be able to share with your friends and relatives, perhaps even your coworkers. You can share the PDF handout. You can share the podcast with them. And wherever they may be in the nation, you can be having your own Bible study time together by discussing the questions and talking about your thoughts of the story and relaying it in a personal way as to how you feel God may be speaking to you. So I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you for hanging in here with us. As you may or may not know, the last few months I have been working very diligently to build up our Facebook and YouTube uh, sharings of teachings. And so every Tuesday and Wednesday night at 7 p.m. sharp, you can find me on both Facebook and YouTube. On YouTube, you can find me on the channel of New Mountaintop Baptist Church. Go there and subscribe. Hit the bell notification so that you'll be notified anytime new content is loaded. That's every Tuesday and Wednesday at 7. Also, on the Facebook page of both Clear Studies. Did you know we had a Facebook page? Yes. You've got to go there <laughs> so that you can be a part of any announcements that may pop up or anything that I share. This is a private group uh, and it's growing, by the way. We are now at 100 people strong and you represent different parts of the nation and different cultures. So this is not just me and two people. It's a whole lot of you. And so I want you to go to the Facebook page. And make sure that you're part of the Facebook page so that we can start communicating there. Because these teachings, I'm not actually putting out in the public necessarily. This is just for a special group who want that extra, extra teaching. So each week, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., I'm on Facebook and YouTube. And you can see me there with different teachings. And those are two different teachings that are different from what we do here at Clear Studies. Also. I would love for you to share in those teachings. So make sure you join me, even if you catch it later on and show up in the comments so I can know you were there. I look forward to sharing with you. Well, in this week, we're picking right back up where we left off in the month of January with session 18. And we're continuing in our series entitled From Prison to Palace, talking about the life of Joseph. In this session, we're going to be talking about Genesis 41, verse 45 through 57 from the Living Bible Translation. And our topic for this session is Joseph takes a bride. Well, you know, the life of Joseph is an amazing story of the providence and power of Almighty God. 
The Bible tells us of the favorite son of Jacob as he is betrayed by his own brothers and sold into slavery. As a slave, Joseph demonstrates a godly testimony in the face of tragedy and temptation. Then Joseph is falsely accused of a crime and thrown into prison. Even in that Egyptian prison, Joseph displays a clear, consistent testimony of faith. Hey, no matter what you go through in your life, make sure that your faith and your character remains consistent. Why? It's because there are others who are watching you. You and I are walking, talking, living, breathing billboards for what God can do in a person's life. And no situation should change how we conduct our faith and ourselves in front of the world. And as Joseph languishes in that prison, up in that palace, Pharaoh has a dream that he cannot interpret. Joseph is remembered after two years of being forgotten in prison. And because he was remembered, he was released from prison. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh then elevates Joseph in the kingdom to second in command. He removes him from that prison and makes him now prime minister of Egypt. And when we arrive at our text today, Joseph has just been exalted to a position of great power and authority. He's been given Pharaoh's ring. He has been dressed in the finest of garments. And he has been given an expensive gold chain. And everywhere Joseph goes, the people of Egypt bow down and honor him because of his power and his position in that land. Wow, what a dichotomy from the beginning of the story when he's brought in as a teenage slave. And now, some 13 or so years later, Joseph is the man with authority and power. And it's all because of the favor that was on his life way back when. Hey, here's a footnote. Don't write people off too soon. You never know what God's plan is for someone. And that applies to you as well. Now, this slave or former slave, shall I say, has become a sovereign ruler. And all this took place in his life simply because of the unseen hand of God that was behind the scenes and orchestrating the whole situation. Well, today our text uh, it, it tells us about how Joseph is exalted to this new position, and now Joseph is about to take a bride. And soon after, Joseph's family would be born right there in Egypt. It's an amazingly beautiful story. So today I want to talk about Joseph's Gentile bride. She was not a Jew. And that is an important, important facet to this story. Because Joseph's bride that was given to him is literally a picture of the body of Christ, which was given by God to Christ. I want you to see this today. Let's look at Genesis 41, verse 45 through 57 in the Living Bible Translation. Verse 45 of Genesis 41 reads like this. Pharaoh gave him a name, meaning he is the godlike power of life and death. And he gave him a wife a girl named Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of Heliopolis. So Joseph became famous throughout the land of Egypt. 
He was 30 years old as he entered the service of the king. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and began traveling all across the land. And sure enough, for the next seven years, there would be bumper crops everywhere. During those years, Joseph requisitioned for the government a portion of all the crops grown throughout Egypt, storing them in nearby cities. After seven years of this, the granaries were full to overflowing, and there was so much that no one kept track of the amount. During this time before the arrival of the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of the sun god Re of Heliopolis. Joseph named his oldest son Manasseh, meaning made to forget. What he meant was that God had made up to him for all the anguish of his youth and for the loss of his father's home. The second boy was named Ephraim, meaning fruitful, for God has made me fruitful in this land of my slavery, he said. So at last, the seven years of plenty came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had predicted, there were crop failures in all the surrounding cities too. But in Egypt, there was plenty of grain in the storehouses. Then people began to starve. They pleaded with Pharaoh for food, and he sent them to Joseph. Do whatever he tells you to, he instructed them. Now verse 56 and 57. So now, with severe famine all over the world, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptian and to those from other lands who came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Man, what, what an intriguing story. All because of Joseph's vision and insight, not only did Egypt have food to eat and to spare, but they were able to make a profit by selling it to surrounding locations. And everyone who wanted to eat had to come by Joseph. You know, as you study the book of Genesis, there are three brides that stand out as types of the bride of Christ. Let's talk about that just a little bit. We have Eve. You know, Eve is the picture of the creation of the church. Adam was placed in a very deep sleep and God removed a rib from his side. And Eve was created from the rib of the man called Adam. The church was formed when Jesus died on the cross. His side was opened for us. We are therefore a product of his sacrificial love as the body of Christ. And then there was Rebecca. She's a picture of the calling of the church. Abraham's servant found her in a pagan land and called her to come be the bride of Isaac. 
And they asked her, will you go with this man? And she answered, I will go. And Rebecca left her old life behind and set out with that servant. It was a long journey through a harsh land, but the servant was with her to encourage her all along the way. And eventually he brought her to Isaac and they were then married in his home. Well, as you think about Rebecca and juxtapose her to the church, the church was also brought out of a pagan land. It was the Holy Spirit who came to us and called us to come to Christ. We then accepted his invitation by faith through grace, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And we set out on a long journey to meet Jesus, who is the bridegroom. And I don't need to tell you because you are a mature Christian. You already know sometimes the way is hard and the way gets rough and it gets tumultuous and tedious. But the comforter who is the Holy Spirit is always right by our side to lead us, to guide us, to encourage us and to bless us all along the way as we meet Jesus. One day. We're going to reach the end of our days and we will be in the very presence of Christ, the bridegroom at his home in heaven. I hope you're getting the picture and able to correlate how these are types of the church. And then let's let's move now to Asenath because she is the picture of the coronation of the church. She became the bride of a man who was brought out of a time of humiliation. Her husband was exalted, and she was exalted right along beside him. She was brought out of obscurity, and she was caused to live in a fine palace, all because of her connection with her husband. Now, I will try to flesh out all of this in this message, but the bride of Christ was called out of obscurity to share the glory of the heavenly bridegroom. And one day we will join him in his heavenly home. So let's take some time in this session to consider the woman who became the bride of Joseph. We don't know a whole lot of information about her regarding her life or her upbringing, but we do have a few details that actually speak quite loudly to us. In this woman, we are permitted to see a few characteristics of the church, which is the bride of Christ. Let's talk about some of these characteristics today. As we look at Joseph's Gentile bride, And we're going to see if we can spot ourselves and all that the Lord has done for us through these verses. First, let's take a look at her sinful past. Her sinful past. Now, the woman Joseph received as his bride was named Asenath. Now, of course, anytime you look at a name, particularly in the Old Testament, there is usually 
significant and very impactful meaning. And the name Asenath means belonging to the goddess Neith. I hear you. Pastor, who on earth is Asenath? And moreover, who on earth is Neith? Well, Neith was known as the Mother Earth of the Delta. She was worshipped as the mother of the Egyptian gods Isis, Horus, and Osiris. This goddess was known as the source of all wisdom. The Egyptians, you see, they believed that all other gods would go to Neith to get wisdom, counsel, or understanding. And any time there was a dispute among themselves, they thought that everyone, all roads lead to Neith, including other gods. Well, Aseneth was raised to worship false pagan gods. And Aseneth was the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. His name means given by the sun god. On, also known as Heliopolis, was one of the most important religious cities in Egypt. The great temple Ra, the sun god, was located there. And Ra was depicted as a great falcon wearing a gold disc as a crown. This temple also housed a sacred bull that was worshipped by the Egyptians. Pharaoh was believed to be the incarnation of Ra and was worshipped as a god. Asenath would have been raised in deep paganism and deep spiritual darkness. Asenath was oblivious to the god of Abraham, the god of Jacob, and the god of Joseph even. She wasn't aware of God, and even if she had been, she would have cared nothing about that God because her rearing and indoctrination was that of Ra and all of the other pagan gods of Egypt. But isn't it interesting that even though she didn't know God, God knew her. Even in her lost condition, God was working to bring her to a place of salvation. When she married Joseph, her pagan past was all blotted out. I have no doubt in my mind that Joseph told her all about his God and all he had done for him, how he is the true and living God who created the heavens and the earth. And surely Joseph introduced Asenath, his new wife, to the true and living God, Jehovah. Now, of course, I don't have any proof, but I think that this woman probably got to know God through her husband, Joseph. I mean, after all, you don't live through all of that and not tell somebody about God. Hey, how about you? Of all that you have lived through, are you telling others about the true and living God? Well, Asenath is a picture of lost humanity because just like Asenath, every human being is born in the depths of spiritual darkness. We don't know God, and we deserve nothing from God but damnation. Our condition is revealed to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, and verse number 12. 
that we are sinners. And it takes the grace and mercy of God through the blood of Christ to redeem us. And this is just a reminder of what we were before we met the Lord. By the way, it does us good to look back sometime, doesn't it? It really does deal a death blow to self-righteousness and spiritual snobbery. And we often need to be reminded from whence we have come. And if you're saved today, it is because God delivered you from your sins by his amazing grace. Grace plus nothing else. And just like Mephibosheth, you and I were wasting away in Lodabar when the king of glory came and brought us in. Like Asenath, when we came to Jesus and were saved by grace, our sinful past was forever blotted out. And in God's eyes, the bride of Jesus has been justified and glorified. And in his eyes, we are spotless and pure today. Somebody ought to praise the Lord for that. Let's continue as we look at how Asenath, Joseph's wife, represents the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Number two, because of her special place. When Joseph came out of prison, he was elevated to a position of great power and great majesty. He was made to sit at Pharaoh's right hand. When Joseph was elevated, his bride was elevated right along with him. Asenath was, was from a prominent pagan family. She was the daughter of a well-known priest, but a pagan priest. But when she became the wife of Joseph, she found herself now the bride of the most powerful man in the land. And Asenath did not achieve this honor on her own. In fact, she had done nothing to get to this point. She was handpicked. She was chosen by Pharaoh and she was given to Joseph. In other words, there was no special merit that Asenath had done. She was merely the object of a sovereign choice. Nothing is said about Asenath regarding her, her looks or her talents or her skills or whether she could cook, whether she had beautiful eyes or hair or anything like that. It seems that her husband and not Asenath is the center of attention in this entire story. And it's also worthy of note that Joseph did not succumb to the polygamous tendencies of the Egyptians. He only took one bride. When he could have taken multiple, he only took one. And again, in all of this, Asenath is a picture of the bride of Christ. Because just like Asenath, the bride is the father's gift to his son. And every person who is saved by the grace of God was chosen by God, handpicked for the honor of being the bride. There's no other explanation for his choice, but his grace and his love for the lost. So God chose us in Christ in eternity past, according to Ephesians 1 and 4. And he called us to come to Jesus for salvation, according to John 6, 44. When we came by faith, we were saved out of our sins and lost past was done away with forever. It is blotted out. No one can go and dig it up when God 
blots it out. By the way, that phrase blot out comes from Psalm 51 when David had messed up with Bathsheba and he prays a prayer of repentance that says, blot out my transgressions. What would happen is that when a person committed a heinous crime, they didn't have Facebook and Instagram and all of that. Twitter didn't even have newspapers, but what they would do was they would write your name and hang it up in the marketplace along with the crime that you had committed. And once you were forgiven, they would take the blood of a lamb and smear the blood over your name and your crime and literally blot it out where people could not see your name nor your crime. All they could see is where the blood has been applied. And that's what God has done for us. That's what God did for Asenath. He blotted out her past. And not only did God save us from our sins, he also elevated us. And he did this in two very special ways. First of all, he elevated us by changing our lives. He gave us a new birth and made us into a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what God did for us. Like Asenath, he lifted us out of the muck and the mire of our sins and set us on a new path of holiness for the glory of God. He changed our lives and made us alive to the things of God, and he gave us a brand new nature. He lifted us up out of the mess that Adam left, and he made it possible for us to live lives that are pleasing to God. Secondly. When we were saved, God put us in Christ Jesus. You know, according to Ephesians 2 and 6, he lifted us up and made us to sit with him in his throne. You see, our Savior, like Joseph, suffered a time of humiliation and rejection. He died and descended into the grave, but he rose again and ascended up to heaven and took up his place at the right hand of God the Father. And when we came to him by faith, he lifted us out of our sins and caused us to sit with him as a wretch, dirty, sinner. But today, we sit in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. (laughs) You see, if you're saved, you are as good for heaven as if you were already there. If you're saved, your past is gone and you enjoy the blessings, the power, and the presence of the Lord God Almighty. And one day, he'll return and claim his bride to himself and take his bride, the church, home to the place that she already is by faith. Oh, that's so powerful. Let's move to number three. We have to look at Asenath's sovereign part, her sovereign part. Now, we're told that Asenath gave birth to Joseph's two children. These two boys were a special gift to Joseph from the Lord. In choosing their names, Joseph acknowledged God's work in his life up to this point. And that was so powerful. Joseph names the first son Manasseh, which means forgetting. Joseph told us that the Lord had allowed him to forget the trials he went through. Joseph named his second boy Ephraim. This name means twice fruitful. 
twice fruitful means that Joseph's faith in God had not wavered. And as the result, God had doubly blessed him. These two boys would grow up and become the heads of two of the tribes of Israel. They would replace Joseph and Levi as a part of the twelve. The grace of God had lifted Asenath, Joseph's wife, out of obscurity and made her a part of God's sovereign plan. She was given a big part in the formation of the nation of Israel. And again, this, my friends, is a picture of the bride of Christ. The redeemed saints of God have been made a part of God's plan to bring the world to himself. He saved us and he called us into service, according to Ephesians 2 and 10. He would take things like us, people like us, sinners like us, and use us as a part of his grand scheme and for his glory. And he had placed his hand on these vessels and he has placed his spirit within these vessels and he can use these vessels like you and me in ways we never imagined. He's given us the gospel of grace to take to a lost and dying world. And he's commissioned us to take it to the ends of the earth. We are his bride. We are his masterpiece. We are his love letter to the world. We are the living, breathing, moving proof that God loves sinners. We are commissioned and commanded to tell this lost world that what the Lord did for us, he can do for them too. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this teaching as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Hey, make sure that you're part of the Clear Studies platform so that you can get to the discussion questions in the handout and be able to go back and read and study and view all of the various scriptures in the teaching I gave you today. I love you so much. We'll talk in a couple of weeks from now. Join me every Tuesday and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Tuesday is TNT, Tuesday Night Teaching, Facebook and YouTube. Wednesdays, 7 p.m., Wednesday in the Word. God bless you.